Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Following 11 days of combat between the Islamist organizations in the Gaza Strip and Israel, a military operation dubbed by the IDF Guardian of the Walls has come to an end exactly a week from today. The cessation of hostilities, whether triggered by a nudge from the Biden administration or the exhaustion of the IDF's prioritized targets bank, has seemingly sparked international desires to see the long-stalled political process between Israel and the Palestinian Authority revived. To further analyze this topic, we're joined from elsewhere here in Jerusalem by Dr. Neil Boms, who is a research fellow at the Moshe Dayan Center at Tel Aviv University. Thank you for joining us. Good to be here. Also joining us from central Israel is Colonel in Reserve, Ruven Ben Shalom, who is a cross-cultural strategist and associate at the International Institute for Counterterrorism in Herzliya. Thank you for joining us as well. And with me here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the chain of events from the moment the operation concluded to today. So there are probably uh, two levels of discussion worth pursuing um, right now as we are uh, in the first week after the uh, operation. One is the political military nexus within Israel. What are the lessons? Um, how is Israel uh, going uh, to make sure that there is uh, no return to the pre-Guardian of the World's uh, status quo? And the other level is the diplomatic uh, route, uh, whereby Secretary of State uh, Tony Blinken rushed to the area, starting uh, his visit in uh, Jerusalem Tuesday, and then going uh, to Ramallah, uh, Cairo, and Amman, um, among other possible locations. So for the first uh, uh, topic, the uh, political-military lesson, uh, one has to look at the recommendations that the uh, Israeli Defense Forces general staff made sure the public is aware of, even though it also, of course, briefed the cabinet about it. And what uh, the IDF uh, is trying to do ahead of um, a stable government to be established sometime in Israel is to point out that the humanitarian efforts in Gaza should be filtered through the Palestinian Authority. Uh, this is including the Qatari uh, money, uh, which the uh, uh, Hamas leadership uh, has gotten used to, perhaps addicted to, and that um, even uh, a minor uh, infraction in the ceasefire agreement, such as an incendiary balloon, should be um, uh, met with a very firm response. And also, for the first time, if there are obvious signs of rearmament, such as a test whereby several missiles uh, are launched by Hamas from Gaza into the sea, westward rather than eastward or southward, uh, towards Israel, that too uh, should trigger a response. As for the uh, Blinken trip, he came over 
to emphasize that uh, the administration uh, sees Israel and Palestine as um, future equal partners once a state of Palestine is established, that there is going to be a humanitarian effort in Gaza. He also, um, and this is remarkable, referred to the Arab Jewish riots within Israel. This is what is usually seen as an intervention in domestic uh, affairs, but um, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, let it pass. And uh, he mentioned that the United States is committed to replenishing the um, uh, missile uh, of the Iron Dome batteries, the interceptor missiles called Tamir by the IDF, uh, which is a very important commitment to Israel's security. Indeed, and a significant amount of money as well. It's about a quarter of a billion but also, dollars. But what it also means is that the United States emphasizes Israeli defense hoping that Israel will not take any offensive measures. Indeed. Uh, there are plenty of uh, points that you just mentioned, and, and we'll try and, and cover all of them, if not most of them. Uh, I'd like to ask Colonel uh, Reuven Menchalom, to what degree has uh, the Israeli military fulfilled its objectives and controlled uh, this operation, if you will, within those 11 days of fighting, uh, seeing the abrupt uh, end of uh, hostilities from both sides actually coming to an end without any agreed-upon preconditions, which is uh, unlike the previous rounds of fighting, which had uh, a lengthened uh, understanding signed from both sides uh, directly with each of the United Nations and, and other actors behind the scenes. What can you tell us about that? Well, first we have to see that uh, this operation was very different and that uh, unlike last time, where last time the objective was more or less uh, peace will be or quiet will be entered with quiet. It's like telling Hamas, please stop firing the rockets. And if you stop firing, we'll stop firing. That was last time. I think this time the IDF acted in a totally different way. It was saying you initiated this Hamas, you fired rockets at Jerusalem. Now, we are uh, commencing our operation, pre-planned, a long list of targets, and it has nothing to do with what you're doing or not doing. So theoretically, if Hamas would have stopped firing after two days, not necessarily the IDF would stop because it was utilizing this, this, uh, this time frame for just another objective, taking out, negating strategic capabilities of Hamas. I think it was, a, it was much better as far as the, uh, shaping the perception and not uh, letting Hamas lead. Uh, also, there was a big uh, difference between public perception in Israel and what the IDF was doing on the ground. I think this has still not been clarified. It's not only a matter of who won. Remember, there is no such thing. The other side will always say that they won. Remember that Egypt still celebrates the huge victory in 73. Hamas will always claim victory and fire till the last minute. It's much more than that. It's that the IDF did not go out to the Israeli public and actually explain what is being done. It was more slogans, these uh, declarations to, to the media, uh, we're hitting them hard, uh, they will be sorry they ever tr triggered this. And remember that Hamas launched this because they needed this campaign. They needed to boost their image. They needed it. They did it. They more or less got what they want. The only thing that may surprise them is the magnitude of the success on the ground as far as the IDF attacking and taking out capabilities. Many of the surprises that they planned for us in the air, in the sea, under underwater, 
uh, commando operations, UAVs, many of these surprises were taken out, eliminated. Some of them we'll never, we'll never even know because the IDF is not telling us. So I think it's still not clear, even when Hamas does realize they won't go out and tell us the magnitude of what happened. So this is more playing into that role of the, the campaign between the wars and just eliminating capabilities that we won't see in the future. Expectation management was the big issue here, and we had a problem with expectation management. Maybe we'll start realizing as we move ahead. Indeed. Dr. Bombs, I'd like to hear your take on, on the days of fighting, and also from a regional perspective, especially uh, Israel had, uh, during the era of the Trump administration, uh, signed various normalization accords with Arab and uh, Muslim-majority countries. Uh, those countries have been relatively silent during uh, this conflagration vis-a-vis -vis the Gaza Strip. Uh, and even those who were quite vocal, including Egypt and including uh, Jordan in particular, uh, it amounted primarily, as it seems, uh, to rhetoric since neither country, uh, neither countries uh, who have uh, full diplomatic relations with Israel recalled their ambassadors during those days of fighting. So it indicates that it's more of the public stage here. We're standing with the Palestinians, but at the same time, uh, when it comes to proactive endeavors on the field, nothing changed. Very true, Jonathan. And in many ways, of course, this has been the most significant uh, and the first test of the very still fresh Abraham Accords. Uh, this, and we can see two interesting and contradictory trends. On the one hand, and on the ground, it seems that uh, following quite some time, uh, that the Palestinian issue was really pushed away, away from public attention, in many ways away from the media and away from Arab publics. Uh, the Palestinian issue got back to the streets, to the Arab streets, to the streets of uh, London and New York, in a, I think, in a more significant way. You've seen a new wave of rage, unfortunately, uh, because this rage also was filled with violence in different parts of the world. On the other hand, when you're looking at the actual response on the ground, uh, it is clear this is, came from different responses. It came through many conversations I've held in the last two uh, weeks. Uh, we have colleagues from the Gulf. Uh, the Abraham Accords still last, uh, and they will probably continue to last. And the response that you've mentioned, mentioned uh, aside from the, uh, of course, uh, public uh, support and public sentiment and public opinion, uh, uh, which uh, drove some of the statements uh, of calling for restraints and calling for stopping of hostilities, it is very clear uh, that the allies from the Gulf, uh, if they need to take a side in this, they cannot take the side of Hamas. Uh, and when it comes to the Palestinians, they may be able to take the side of the Palestinian people broadly, but obviously they cannot let Hamas win or gain um, uh, something or much from this conflict. Overall, Hamas, part of the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, uh, represents the wave of, of ideology of extremism, the exact uh, uh, enemy uh, that uh, many of the Gulf countries have placed uh, as the main enemy, uh, even Qatar, who has been a part of the, has been a part of this, has been the largest supporter of Hamas, and apparently behind the scenes have engaged with uh, Israeli officials. Uh, perhaps begins to understand this. We need to remember that even uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, three weeks ago, separately from the conflict, uh, Mohammed bin Salman uh, uh, gets to the TV screen and says, "Look, we need to change the way we think about Islam. We need to reject." some of these dimensions of radicalization, Hamas uh, uh, epitomize 
this exact uh, non-compromising Islamic radical approach. You need to remember something. 4,300 missiles uh, were launched. Uh, we can look at the, the Israeli response, and uh, uh, my, my, my colleague Ruben Shalom said that you know Israel responded uh, uh, with its own agenda and without uh, taking into consideration what Hamas might have done. But if we're not looking at Hamas's success, which was very much limited uh, by the Israeli uh, defense, by Iron Dome, um, if you're looking at the Hamas intent, we can just imagine what would have happened here if 4,300 missiles, even half of them, 10% of them, uh, would actually hit their intended targets. Uh, the, the carnage in Israel would have been even worse than the carnage in Gaza. Um, and, and this is why, uh, on the one hand, we should uh, really uh, you know, congratulate the, the success of uh, the, the Iron Dome uh, system and, and the, the, the work on the defense part. And also understand that what Israel did here, uh, in many ways and quietly, uh, was actually uh, blessed uh, by uh, many of the allies from uh, the Gulf, realizing uh, that the forces that we are trying to curtail here in Gaza are the exact forces uh, uh, that needs to be curtailed in the region if the region needs to see uh, uh, stability uh, and, and uh, um, peace uh, and prosperity. Then the, the, the same slogans that are being constantly kept, I've seen it uh, in writing, uh, written by uh, analysts from the Gulf, uh, saying very simply, uh, we cannot uh, tolerate this type of extremism that is not going to be constructive, uh, not for the future of the region and not for the future of the Palestinian people. Indeed. And of course, uh, Hamas is an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is a, a significant contributor to the fact that the Gulf Arab states are not keen on allowing Hamas to uh, prevail, uh, even on the field, but also in uh, the public image. Uh, Mr. Ogan, beyond uh, the, the points just mentioned, one of the things that is quite apparent is uh, that the, the priorities set for this operation were pre-planned, they were quite clear, and they were executed in a very professional manner. As also Colonel uh, Ben Shalom mentioned, this is uh, very different than uh, the times prior, which were under functioning governments in Jerusalem, as opposed to now when there is a caretaker government in Jerusalem. H how do you see that? Well, the Israeli Defense Forces um, is uh, far and away uh, the best organized organ uh, of the uh, Israeli state. It has uh, the uh, uh, best oiled machinery for uh, planning, collecting intelligence, analyzing, um, writing doctrine, training, and then executing uh, it all. But of course, uh, this is only the military part of uh, an act of state in a political context. And uh, the government um, has decided for many years now not to decide what its vision is regarding the future of the uh, Israeli-Palestinian context. Having said that, um, many of the demonstrations around the world against Israel and for the Palestinians suffered from a simplistic and therefore erroneous depiction of the problem. Yes, Hamas leaders and members are Palestinian, but most Palestinians are not members of Hamas. Uh, many of them um, may be fans 
may cheer Hamas when it acts against Israel, but um, saying that uh, Israel acted against the Palestinians um, is like saying that the United States acted against Afghanis when, when uh, it acted against the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Which brings a question into mind. Uh, as you said, uh, the, the various protests around the world, we saw, of course, a lot of flags from uh, uh, Turkey uh, adjacent to uh, uh, the Palestinian flag. Uh, of course, Turkey is a backer of the Muslim Brotherhood. And we, we saw different countries or many migrants and people who immigrated to the West leading those protests rather than locals who uh, are just small in number within those uh, protests. But, but you know, there is a paradox there because these migrants, of course, are against the uh, far right in, in the host countries, against what they consider extreme elements. But Hamas is the mirror image of these extremists. If you want to help the Palestinians, help the moderates. Which shows the Islamist backing in this whole context. Now, I, I'd like to ask you on the humanitarian point of view. Of course, Israel, during the, the rounds of fighting, provided uh, uh, the Gaza Strip on several occasions, uh, truckloads of support delivered from Jordan into the Gaza Strip. Unfortunately, Hamas uh, shot at those convoys on several occasions, forcing Israel to uh, end or terminate uh, the transfer of goods during those days of fighting on several occasions. Now, when we look at the, the current situation, everybody, uh, including the United States, including the various countries that openly declare their intentions to uh, invest or to uh, donate significant sums of money in order to rehabilitate the Gaza Strip, are saying over and over again that they're going to do that by means of the Palestinian Authority, which doesn't have any control of the Gaza Strip. It happens to be even an enemy of Hamas, which doesn't want anything to do with that organization. How is that actually going to, to work? So Hamas, first of all, is acting like a criminal gang. When they are shooting at the humanitarian loads being uh, uh, given uh, to the Palestinians and transported uh, with the blessing of Israel, they are saying, listen, either you do it through us or not at all. They are control freaks, uh, so to say. Now, the um, one party with leverage over Gaza and Hamas is Egypt. And President Sisi showed leadership here. And you know, 20 years ago, when the violence between Palestinians and Israel started um, after September of 2000, and Israel um, employed attack helicopters, some of Reuven's friends uh, had to act in Gaza. President Mubarak recalled his ambassador. At that time, the Palestinian Authority was in charge of Gaza. Then, of course, it was evicted in 2007. Now it is only Hamas and uh, President Sisi who controls one of the passages into Gaza, the Rafa pas passage. Um, he can tell the uh, Hamas leadership, listen, either you do it my way or else. Egypt, uh, under the leadership of President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, announced uh, its decision to donate $500 million uh, in aid to the Gaza Strip. Of course, uh, this might uh, seem as an, an at least uh, uh, an attempt to uh, diminish 
Turkey's uh, influence, which remains even though uh, exploratory talks are being held between Cairo and Ankara about possibly uh, reconciling between the two countries, uh, Egypt does not want Turkey's uh, growing influence within the Hamas-controlled territory. I think what we see a lot of with Turkey is their their wish for dominance, their general strategy for the whole region is, is this these dreams of maybe going back to the idea of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, a lot of this, I think, is just uh, rhetoric that doesn't have anything to do with what they do on the ground. Egypt, because of the geography, because of the border with uh, the Gaza Strip, is certainly there and relevant. And in the last few rounds, we've seen them very active. And I think Israel sees Egypt as an important partner. And when they broker these ceasefires, I think we uh, we enjoy this partnership and we think that they're very important. On a day-to-day basis, remember, we also share a long border with Egypt and have close cooperation uh, in you know, mitigating terror threats. So, so Gaza is just a component of that. I think Egypt also has its, its strategic considerations. It wants to be perceived as leader maybe of the Arab world in the region. So everything they do is is critical in that way. Also remember that Israel many times enables actors in the region to do things that bold, that, that strengthens their image. So and in a way, when we enable Egypt to be perceived in this way, we're helping Egypt. This all has to do with a bilateral situation as well. Everything that goes into Gaza now, it doesn't matter who gives it and how gives it, it has to be under some kind of mechanism of demilitarization. I know this is wishful thinking, unfortunately, and very pessimistic, and I think this is just another round going back to the same mechanism as before. So even when we hear about you know, $500 million going in for humanitarian aid, it means nothing really as far as the grand strategy for Gaza that does not exist. We're still going to see another round of rebuilding, rehabilitation of this and that, but bottom line, it's immediately, Hamas is immediately going back to rebuilding their terrorist stronghold regrouping, rearming, and just preparing for the next round. The question will be, is it true that the IDF delivered them such a severe blow that their calculation now will be that this was a mistake? And finally, we will see more years of quiet. But remember, even these years of quiet mean nothing in the long run since they are rebuilding. So actually, everything we're discussing means absolutely nothing if there's no serious shift in the direction of demilitarization of Gaza. Still, even that, even going to that direction of more monitoring, more inspection, even if they do build a seaport, and I'm for it, they have to have the mechanisms in place, because if we don't make that shift, it's just going back to the same round again. Long term, as far as reuniting the Palestinian people on one leadership of Palestinian authority that is more moderate and even willing to talk to Israel about peace, that's even that's a far away dream. We are still dealing with a terror state an entity that wants to annihilate Israel. This is not Israeli propaganda. It's just the facts. Those are their goals. They're they're working hard to achieve this goal. That is still so far away, I think it's even uh, pointless to discuss at this point. However, ironically speaking, Hamas was the one back in 2006 who did want win the election for the Palestinian Authority and uh, fought and they're, under and they're the will leadership. Again. Uh, Fatah under the leadership of Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas was the one who lost, but at the same time uh, was unwilling to uh, transfer the power to uh, the offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, with the backing both of the West as well as uh, of uh, Gulf states. Uh, Dr. Bombs, I'd like to ask uh, uh, two points. We're drawing near to the end of the program, but still uh, those uh, points should be um, 
highlighted. One is uh, Egypt, of course, has uh, uh, served a central role in bringing about the cessation of hostilities, something that has actually uh, served as a rapprochement between Cairo and Washington, it seems, and now also improved its uh, positioning uh, with the help of Israel, uh, among others. Uh, and then uh, the second point is, during the 11 days of fighting, uh, ironically speaking, at the, the 11th day, uh, the uh, political coordinator for the European Union, who chairs the talks in Vienna for the, the Joint Conference Plan of Action, or the Iran nuclear deal, said that over the course of the 10 days prior, uh, there was significant progress uh, in the talks between uh, the United States and Iran, the indirect talks, something that, of course, uh, raises uh, questions whether the situation in Gaza was actually a distraction necessary in order to allow for the United States and Iran to reach some kind of understanding. Well, look, the Palestinians issue always have a talent to remind us it exists uh, after uh, the region uh, goes back to deal with the most important issues. And the Iran issue uh, was not divorced from uh, the Gaza conflict. Uh, Iran was very much there, not just in the tacit support, but also there uh, on the ground. Uh, we have seen that from uh, the, the leadership uh, of Hamas. We've seen the statement, of course, with uh, uh, Islamic Jihad, and we've seen the fact that uh, probably uh, without the, the help of uh, uh, Iran, it would have been more difficult for Hamas to perform militarily the way they did, which was certainly different uh, than the, the way they performed in 2014. Uh, and, and therefore, now when the region comes back to its senses following another crisis in uh, Gaza, uh, it needs to come back to the issues that trouble the region the most, uh, the Iran deal, certainly. And then, broadly speaking, uh, economy, stability, and that brings us back to the understanding, to the certainly uh, also the Egyptian understanding, that with groups like Hamas in the lead, you would not be able to have that. The Egyptian role. Uh, was crucial, was important. I have seen it, I have witnessed it, I've spent some time uh, in conversing with them at the time while these negotiations have taken place. Um, and it was an important role of coordination, but uh, also they were trying to go uh, between the Israelis and the uh, uh, and Hamas um, and eventually uh, serving as a bridge. It's important that somebody will be able to do it, uh, and they certainly played a, a much more active role uh, now. Uh, but if you bring all of these uh, together, I think the Egyptians are also a part of the camp that worries about it. If it was up for the Egyptians, uh, although on the one hand they would send uh, a significant humanitarian aid, they're not uh, far from being fans of what is happening in Gaza. Uh, but I think just uh, perhaps just like us, they understand that uh, it's, uh, they need to navigate between a very supportive public opinion and between a deeper understanding that uh, at some point something Indeed. needs to move uh, uh, in Gaza, uh, and I'm sure that there are some interesting conversations involving the Egyptians of what uh, can be done potentially in order to change this cycle. I mean, remember that this is not the first, the second, or the third conflict between uh, Israel and Hamas. It's definitely not the first, but hopefully it will be the last, uh, even though uh, we may remain skeptical about this. This is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Dr. Bohm's Colonel Ben Shalom and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.